Good morning. And contrary to the bulletin, I am not Steve Miller. Just in case anybody's questioning that, I just want to make that clear. So this morning we're going to talk about loyalty. And you could probably substitute a different word in there. You could put in the word faithfulness. But I, I intentionally chose the word loyalty because uh, it... I want to contrast it with words that are contrary to loyalty, things like offense and betrayal. And the things uh, that I'm going to share with you, you can put them into pretty much whatever context you want to. You can, you can look at loyalty in, in friendships, you can look at loyalty in marriage, you can look at loyalty in the body of believers. And I'm sharing this this morning from, in our congregation, from a, a point of strength. This honestly doesn't seem to be a major issue in our congregation, so this is not really a, it's not really a corrective word. It's more of a cautionary word. See, I think that any one of us, and I'm including me in that, uh, could go down that path, fall into that uh, trap of being disloyal. So my hope is to keep us from going down that wrong path. And again, this is as much about friendships and, and marriages as it is about the church in general. So let's pray. Lord, right now, as we, as we take the time to intentionally turn our ears toward you, we're inviting you to speak into us. God, I would ask that the, the speaker not get in the way, but instead that your words would be heard clearly and that we would, as your servants, take these things to heart and hear and act on what you're saying to us. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to talk about loyalty, and I, want to, I should have mentioned, this is not so much about loyalty toward God um, as it is toward one another, all right? So that's kind of the, the, the basic idea. And to start, I want you to, to think back to the scene that Trish just read from John 13. I want you to try to imagine that scene. All of the, the disciples are gathered there, all 12 apostles are there, and if we're going to talk about loyalty, I don't know that we could find a better place in Scripture to, to contrast loyalty and disloyalty. Um, maybe a, we could phrase it better by saying loyalty versus betrayal. Because if you, if you think about it, uh, really the opposite of loyalty is, is betrayal. We see right there in that scene in John 13 the, the horrific and vile nature of disloyalty in Judas and his ultimate betrayal, and the, the absolute glorious, wonderful, total, total loyalty of Jesus, our Savior. And I want to lead off by zeroing in on just two verses, the last two verses that Trish read, as though that should come as a surprise coming from me. Verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus said that people would know we're his disciples because we love one another. And that's, that's pretty obvious. But if they're going to know, then they're going to have to see it. It's going to have to be demonstrated, if you will. They're going to need to actually be able to observe it, right? Otherwise, they won't know. So let me give kind of a, an overarching a premise to, to what I want to share with you this morning. My premise is very simple. One of the, one of the primary roots well, primary proofs, really, of, of true loyalty, is, of true love, is true loyalty. We, we, could, we could say that, that loyalty is a, an evidence of love coming forth. It's the, the, the way it, in many times, it's the way it's manifested. It's a, a primary evidence of love. For example, 
If I tell my wife that I love her, but I'm not loyal to her, then it would be pretty obvious that what I'm saying is just words, right? It's not, not really real. Um, if I tell you that I love you, but behind your back I am um, backbiting or I'm, you know, whatever, you know, undermining what you're doing, whatever, then, then you would be right to question whether or not I really love you. Are you, you following me? So the idea that, that loyalty is an evidence of love, I think a primary evidence of love. So, so I want you to think about those verses that we just read. And I, I'm going to ask you just for a moment to assume that my, that my premise here is correct, that, that loyalty is an evidence of love. I want to read those verses a little bit differently. A new commandment I give to you, that you be loyal to one another. Just as I have been loyal to you, you also are to be loyal to one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you are loyal to one another. Now, some of you are bristling because I just changed scripture. Don't panic, all right? Because if we understand the idea that loyalty is an evidence of love, I think a primary evidence of love, that I don't think I've done any damage to the intent of what Jesus was saying here. And in fact, in a culture like ours, where we love everything, I love your dress. I love popcorn. I love to go for walks. I love your shoes. I mean, we fill in the blank. We love everything. In a culture like that, where we love practically everything, then the word change that I did might help clarify Jesus' intent in what he's saying. Are you with me? All right, so, so having laid that, that foundation, put out that, that premise there, I want to I kind of shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk for a few minutes about Judas Iscariot to show the opposite of loyalty, because sometimes when we, when we see what something isn't, it helps us understand what it is, all right? So Judas Iscariot, you know, his first name is actually a derivative of the name Judah, which means praise. Now, we don't think of it like that today. We think of it very differently, but that's because of association. Back then, that association wasn't there. See, today, that name in our minds, you know, we read the, the Gospels, and immediately there's this like wall there because his name came up. We, we know what's going to happen. We know what he's like, right? But that wasn't there. So I want you to think back when Jesus first chose his 12 apostles. He's been up on a mountain praying all night, right? Praying that the Father would show him who the right ones are. He comes down, lots of disciples gathered there at the foot of the mountain, and Jesus calls out 12 names. And one of those is Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas is only mentioned an average of five times, in the go five times per gospel in the gospels. All right, but the, the apostles, the, the 12, his disciples, they are mentioned over and over and over, Okay. And so Judas was there when Jesus sent out his disciples to heal the sick and cast out demons. Je uh, Judas was there when they were handing out the, the loaves and the fishes and when they collected all of the extra parts. Judas was there when Jesus walked on the water. 
walked intimately with Jesus. He was a part of all of that and so many other things that I'm not gonna just take time to mention right now. He had a ministry. He was even an apostle. So how does somebody like that get to the point of total betrayal? Well, I think it's safe to say that that outright betrayal didn't happen overnight. That it had to have been preceded by several, probably lots, of individual little steps to get to that point. I mean, you don't go immediately from genuine love to outright betrayal overnight. It doesn't happen, right? I mean, probably you're like me. I have seen divorced people screaming obscenities at one. How, how, do you, how do you go from that happy couple who pledged their lives together to that point? It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process, one step at a time. You know, when Jesus was telling his followers about the signs of the end times, one of the signs that he said was that many will betray one another, Matthew 24.10. If I can say it differently, many will not be loyal to one another. Instead of demonstrating loyalty, they're going to betray one another. You with me? And it's important to understand that Jesus did not say that a few people were going to do that. He says that many are going to do that. That's scary to me. But right before that, that betraying one another part, the ESV, English Standard Version that I usually preach from, usually read, says many will fall away. Now, the New King James and others actually say many will be offended. Now, that's kind of different between those two. So I like... I like referring to Young's literal translation. Now, I'll be, I'll be the first to admit that it's, it can be difficult to read that particular version because English sentence structure is very different than most other languages. So if you read that version, it sounds like Yoda talking a lot of times where the words are just kind of, you know, mismashed around, right? But it's the most accurate word-for-word -word translation. So that translation in this, in this verse says, then shall many be stumbled. Okay, it's a little awkward, all right, reading. But, you know, in the context, right after this, that many will betray one another, I can't help but wonder if being offended is really the more accurate understanding. Then shall many be stumbled. It sounds like they're, it sounds like they're tripping over something, like something has gotten in their way and they fell over it. You know, one of the definitions of that Greek word there is to trip up. Well, what are we, in the, in the spiritual realm, what are we... What do we trip over? What do we stumble over? Well, how about an offense? How about something that someone else says or does from which we take offense? That's never happened to you, right? You know, in our culture, people are offended by practically everything, and we can make fun of them, but let's be honest. There are times that those things kind of sneak up on us. Is this just me? Okay, just want to make sure. And I would suggest that perhaps that's what happened to Judas. I heard someone say a while back that every offended person carries within themselves the seed of betrayal. Let me repeat that. Every offended person carries within themselves the seed of betrayal. And I think that's true. Now, that doesn't mean that, that betrayal is a sure thing. Don't, don't misunderstand. Let me do it this way. Because of the gardens at our house, we have lots of seeds at our house. 
I don't think it would be a, a, an overstatement to say we have hundreds of seeds at our house, all right? Probably, yeah. I didn't want to say that. But they, they don't grow unless you plant them and put them in the correct environment. You know, you, you've, you've probably heard about uh, seeds being taken out of the pyramids that have been in there for thousands of years and they plant them and they grow. They didn't grow while they were in the pyramid. It wasn't the right environment. They didn't, weren't planted. They weren't being taken care of. But see, that same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Those seeds of offense don't have to grow, but if you put them in the right environment, if you nurture them, they will grow. Guarantee it. I've seen it happen. And they'll grow big. I've seen little things grow into big things. And I've seen those seeds of offense germinate, take root, and eventually become full-out betrayal. Happens in friendships, happens in marriages, and it happens in the church. You know, it's possible that Judas was offended because Jesus' following seemed to be dwindling. Numbers were getting lower. Don't know for sure. It's possible that Judas was offended because Jesus kept talking about dying. You know, if that's going to happen, then he's not going to have this earthly kingdom and, and Judas isn't going to have a position. Could have been offended by that. Or, or think about when, when Mary, uh, sister of Martha and Lazarus, poured that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and, and uh, Judas was upset. Why, why wasn't this sold and the money given to the poor? Scripture says he didn't really care about the poor. I would suggest that perhaps maybe Judas was so convicted by Mary's love and devotion that maybe he was offended by it because he didn't have that same love and devotion. Maybe, maybe Judas was offended that people were supporting Jesus' ministry financially. Maybe that's why he was stealing some of the money. I mean, we, we know that he took money out of the money bag. He was pilfering. Maybe that, that seed was, was planted and germinated and it grew and some small offendedness grew into something like an outright betrayal. Now, all right, you might be wondering, Am I sure that's what happened? I'll, I'll admit, no, I'm not. But I do think two things. One, I think it's the most plausible explanation of how Judas got to where he got. And second, there are enough similar situations, similar scenarios in Scripture that would give credence to what I'm saying. Think of Joseph in the Old Testament as a, as a young man. Do you remember his dreams? You know, one morning he gets up, comes to the breakfast table. Hey, brothers, I, I had a dream. We were, we were all out in the field and, and we were, we were uh, bundling sheaves of wheat and your sheaves bowed down to mine. Now, Joseph seems like a pretty smart guy. All right, he's young at that point, but he still seems like a pretty smart guy. I don't know what kind of a response that he expected, but certainly he couldn't have expected them to say, oh, that's great, right? They were actually pretty upset, if you remember, like, Really, Joseph, you think we're, we're all going to bow down to you? You think you're, you're going to rule over us, you punk kid? Come on, be serious. And, but then Joseph had another dream. And if you remember, the, the sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to him. And this time even Joseph's dad is like, uh, Joseph, you think your mom and I and your brothers are all going to bow down to you? Really? But immediately after that, it says his brothers were jealous of him. His brothers were jealous of him. They were offended that apparently he thought he was better than them. But do you remember when dad sent Joseph to go check on his brothers? And that's, that's when uh, they actually sold him into slavery, okay? 
But I, 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 I find it interesting, the part when he's almost there to them and they see him, and what do they say? They say, here comes this dreamer. They didn't talk about how he was dad's favorite. They said, here comes this dreamer, this guy who has these crazy ideas that he thinks he's better than us. We'll show him. And that doesn't have to happen. But if we nurture those seeds of offense, they will grow. Proverbs 18, 19, it says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. Whew. That's quite a statement, isn't it? I don't ever want to be like that. You know, I think of the, the Pharisees who were jealous of, of Jesus' popularity. What's another way of saying that? They were offended because he was more popular than them. And they sought to kill him because they were jealous. They nurtured those seeds and those seeds grew. So when we see scenarios like that in the scriptures, I think it's very likely that the same thing happened to Judas. You know, one of the, one of the practical things that I have talked about over the years numerous times, some of you have heard me um, talk about this, of, of making the choice to not be offended. Proverbs 19.11, it says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is, to his, glory, it is his glory to overlook an offense. What a great statement. Don't hang on to it. Overlook it. Just get rid of it. Just pass it by. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Love is not resentful. Interesting word, resentful. We don't hear that word much in our society, in our culture today. Um, but we do hear the idea expressed pretty frequently. See, the definition of resentful is feeling or expressing bitterness or indignation at having been treated or spoken of or spoken to unfairly. Huh. That sounds a whole lot like I was offended. You with me? So according to the Bible, love is not supposed to be resentful. In other words, love doesn't feel or express bitterness at having been wronged. I mean, after all, we're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, right? And, and I don't get, you know, when pray for those who persecute you. I don't get the idea that that prayer is supposed to be, get them, Lord. Right? How, how do you pray for someone in an honest, caring, positive way if you're harboring an offense, if you have animosity toward those people. You can't. It's not going to happen. When the Apostle Paul was making his defense before uh, Governor Felix in the book of Acts, he said this, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Again, I don't think this does justice to the Greek here. Young's literal translation says it this way, and in this, I do exercise myself to have a conscience void of offense toward God and men always. Wow, how do you have a clear conscience? Well, have one that's void of offense. I don't hang on to those things that people do or say that might offend me, if you will. I get rid of them quickly. Let me make this practical. You know, the last couple of years, we've gone through some, some crazy stuff worldwide in our nation. And in the last couple of years, I've heard Christians say that we should be loving and caring 
toward one another in a number of ways, like by staying home during the pandemic or by not staying home during the pandemic, by getting a vaccine or by walking in faith and not getting a vaccine, by voting for a specific candidate or by not voting for that same candidate, by standing up for justice and saying that certain lives matter or by saying that all lives matter or by prophesying that the world is about to end, or by prophesying just the opposite, that Christians should be hunkered down for the long haul. And you may find Christians at various places between any of those extremes. But I have seen and heard about Christians who have gotten offended by both extremes, and they now no longer are speaking to one another. And don't misunderstand, they are still Christ followers. They still believe that Jesus Christ is their only hope for salvation, for eternity with God, but they have allowed those non-primary issues to come in and cause an offense. And their loyalty to one another has been broken by those secondary, no, let me change that, I don't even think they're that important, third-rate, fourth-rate, 20th-rate issues anybody getting offended here today? They were offended, and when we're offended, we cannot be loyal. For a few minutes, I want to take a look at the, the, the story of King David when he was fleeing from Jerusalem because Absalom, had his son, had staged a coup. Absalom had been exiled away from his father, away from his family. And if you remember, Absalom had, had killed his half-brother um, and... Uh, there are some who would suggest that that, that that killing was actually justified. Regardless, it was still a murder, all right? And David, the king, his father had pardoned him, and Absalom had been back in Jerusalem for a few years, but Absalom had his eye on the throne. And people weren't really getting justice, and Absalom said, hey, I can, I can help you with that. And he st the scripture says he stole their hearts. Hey, if I was in the White House, you'd get a better deal. And enough people thought that was a good idea that David and his entourage had to flee away from Jerusalem. And we're going to read through this in, in, in 2 Samuel 15 just real quickly, but one other detail before I read through it, and that is that, that Absalom was offended that his father would not take the time to see him while he was there. And uh, Absalom actually set somebody else's barley field on fire in order to get David's attention. I just think that's an important aspect that we need to understand going into the story because it plays into how, how we see the whole context. 2 Samuel 15, beginning in verse 13, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, and, or, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us, and bring down ruin on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to go, to, to, ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him. And all the Cherethites and all of the Pelethites and all the 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed on before the king. Then the king said to Idai the Gittite, Why do you also go with us? Go back and stay with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your home. 
You came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us since I go I know not where? Go back and take your brothers with you. May the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. But Ittai answered the king, As the Lord lives and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. And David said to Ittai, Go then, pass on. So Ittai the Gittite passed on with all his men and all the little ones who were with him. And all the land wept aloud as all the people passed by. And the king crossed the brook Kidron, and all the people passed on toward the wilderness. And Abiathar came up, and behold, Zadok came also with all the Levites, bearing the ark of the covenant of God. And they set down the ark of God until the people had passed out of the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. But if he says, I have no pleasure in you, behold, here I am. Let him do to me what seems good to him. In this section, I want to start with the idea that, that David and company could have fought back. You know, it seems like there were still a lot of folks that were, were loyal to David in this section. If I was an, an odds maker, uh, I would give David better than even chances of actually winning this battle, beating Absalom. But the, the, so, so besides the, the loyal uh, subjects, there's also the, the, can I say it this way, the God on his side aspect of this whole thing. But David did not want to destroy Jerusalem. He didn't want to pit one Israelite against another Israelite. He, he wanted to, them to stay together. He was too loyal to them to let that happen. And he was also confident enough in God that he trusted that God was going to be his judge. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and let me see both it and his dwelling place. He trusted in God enough to vindicate him and he was, he was not going to start a civil war to prove himself. He would rather leave than to do that. Personally, I think it might have been easier to start a war. I think that would have been a, a really simple thing to do, but he didn't. David chose to sacrifice his own position rather than, than put his people through an issue of bloodshed. That's loyalty to his people and to his nation. And then there's David's servants in verse 15. Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my Lord the king decides. They were ready to stand with him, whatever that meant. They would have gone to battle with him, but they were also willing to flee along with him if that's what he decided. They weren't going to let those secondary issues pull them apart. They were loyal. And Ittai the Gittite, we don't know a lot about him, um, apparently the commander of a company of 600 Gittites, that means they were from Gath, all right? And David says to him, you came only yesterday, and shall I today make you wander about with us since I go I know not where? Now that doesn't mean literally that he came yesterday, okay? It's just, it's a, uh, a way of saying it. He was only been there a short time. Today somebody might say, you've only been with me for a minute. Um, you know, it's the, you, you've just been here a short time. And David, David is like, I don't even know where I'm going right now. You just need to go back home. But Atai's response is great. As the Lord lives and as my Lord the King lives, wherever my Lord the King shall be, whether for death or for life, there also will your servant be. That's loyalty. I'm with you, come what may. It reminds me of the traditional marriage vows. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. I'm sticking with you through thick and thin. I'm there. That's what Ittai was saying. That's loyalty. 
While I was uh, studying for this sermon, I came across a great story, a true story. It happened in, during World War I. Two brothers that were best of friends, and they, they did practically everything together. In fact, they enlisted in the army together. They went through training together. They were assigned to the same platoon, uh, took the, the ship over to Europe together. And one day after a particularly hard-fought battle in the Argonne Forest, one of the brothers, Jack, came back to camp. But his brother William wasn't there. And he asked the commanding officer, Jack asked, if he could go and, if he could go and, and look for William. And the, the officer didn't think that was a good idea, didn't want him to go. But Jack was pretty persistent, and the commanding officer finally relented and let him go. It was just a little over an hour later that Jack came back and he was carrying the body of his brother. And the commanding officer said, see, this, this is why I didn't want you to go. This is a futile effort. But Jack said, no, it wasn't a futile effort. William was actually alive when I found him. And he kept saying over and over, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come. That's loyalty lived out fully. And it's important for us to understand that words in and of themselves do not necessarily constitute loyalty. Peter declared, you know, just later in that chapter that, that Trish read, if you keep reading, Peter declared his complete loyalty to Jesus. I'll lay down my life for you. And you know what happened, right? So just words alone don't necessarily portray the final truth. But, you know, the fact is that Holy Spirit worked in Peter's life. He strengthened him. He, he caused that to become true. Holy Spirit apparently built within Peter the ability to live up to that declaration. It was less than two months later that Peter stood up in the midst of thousands of people and said, God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That's a pretty straightforward statement. Jesus that you killed has become the Lord and Christ. No wavering that statement. And Holy Spirit allowed Peter to do that. And you know what? That same Holy Spirit is at work in you today, strengthening you. All right, I want to start to bring this home. And I want to go back to something that I said near the beginning. I contrasted the, the disloyalty of Judas with the almost too good to be true loyalty of Jesus. Judas betrayed the Lord. Jesus was completely loyal to his father and to his people. He loved us with a, a passionate, ongoing love, dying on the cross for our sins. He's promised to never leave us, to, to never forsake us, to give us eternal life with himself. See, I'm saying that because I want us to understand that ultimately, loyalty is God's trademark. God clearly values relationship with us. Scripture says he's faithful, even when we're faithless. He's still faithful. God makes a pledge, he keeps it. God makes a covenant, it sticks forever. God will not go on, go back on his promises. He is faithful to the end. He is totally and completely loyalty. And since you and I are made in his image, that loyalty is a part of what he builds into us also. It's part of why he dwells within us. It's part of why Holy Spirit strengthens us like he did, like he strengthened Peter. So let me come at this from a little different angle for a couple of minutes. If we're, 
if we're going to demonstrate loyalty, obviously we, we can't be easily offended. I think we established that right. But we also can't go around offending others. Paul wrote to, in his first uh, letter to the, the Corinthian church, he wrote, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage. Don't go around doing things that are going to offend other people. Now, some of you are thinking, well, yeah, but what about Jesus with the, the, the Pharisees? It's a different story. That's not everyday life, folks. He was intentionally coming against people that needed to be come against. But we don't have to do that in every situation. In fact, in Paul's second letter to that same church, he wrote, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Don't put things in front of people that they'll stumble over, that they're going to offend them, if you will. It's all part of our charge in, as being part of Christ's body, all right? In the book of Romans, Paul wrote this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. The word obstacles is the, the same word that in other places is translated as stumbling blocks or offenses. So this verse says that we're supposed to be on the lookout for people who, who cause division, who create obstacles, who, who create stumbling blocks. And it goes on to say that we're supposed to avoid those people, those who deliberately go about tossing stumbling blocks, tossing offenses in the paths of others. We're supposed to not only watch out for them, but when we encounter them, we're supposed to avoid them. That sounds pretty serious. Like, maybe God doesn't want that kind of thing to happen. All right, let's finish up. The primary thing that I want, to, want us to take away from this message is that demonstrable loyalty to one another, loyalty that can be seen, if you will, is essential for our life together as the church. It's essential for our relationships, it's essential for our marriages, and it's also essential for the church. But in order for that to become more of a reality in our lives, we need to understand that offenses, and especially offenses that grow into betrayal, that those things are going to hinder our loyalty. So let's get really real here. Has someone done something that has offended you? Have you hung on to that offense? Have you taken steps down that path? Have you intentionally or unintentionally nurtured those seeds of betrayal in your life. It's time to get rid of those things. Or perhaps if someone betrayed you, don't let that hinder your walk with the Lord and with his body. And maybe just as importantly, have you done things to offend others? You may need to apologize to someone regarding those things, whatever they might be. Let's pray. Lord, today, as we have listened to what you are speaking into our lives, Lord, we've heard truth in a way that perhaps we haven't in this area in a while. Lord, I know as I was writing this message, I was convicted over and over and over again. Lord, it is so easy for us to walk down that path of being offended. God, we ask that you would cause us to recognize 
the truth of your word, that we don't want to be those that are easily offended. We want to overlook those things. We want to get past them. We don't want to be like that, that brother who was offended, like that strong city. Lord, we desire to be loyal to one another in our, our everyday relationships, in our marriages, in our, our life together as a congregation. Lord, we can't do that on our own. And so we're inviting you that you would take the truth that we've heard today and cause it to grow much more than those offenses deeply in our hearts and in our lives that we would not be offended, that we would not be those who would be among those many who will betray one another in the end, but instead that we would be those who are loyal, fully loyal to one another, always. May it be so. Amen.